Righty, so, as Vinay mentioned earlier, Jono's not here this Sunday. He's down in Timaru at Covenant Grace Baptist, so um, it's not really a break for him because he's still preaching. <laughs> but it does mean there's been a bit of a reshuffle. The, um, some of you would have known the Acts 29 conference was on um, Friday and yesterday in Wellington, so a few of the Covenant Grace guys were in Wellington for that, so Jono is uh, relieving them. So a bit of a, bit of a shuffle around. Um, so this morning, this is the final installment of our series through 2 Corinthians chapters 3 and 4. So just um, to recap, so this is our, what we've called our preaching lab. So myself and Vickas and Nathan uh, have been preaching a couple of sermons each throughout this passage. Um, and yeah, it's been a, it's actually been really cool. Um, it's not a particularly easy passage, it's fairly loaded with... Um, Theology and, and it's uh, meant that we've had to work hard for um, our sermons, which is really good. Um, and um, yeah, I guess thanks to Jono as well for um, mentoring us through that process. So our passage this morning is Second Corinthians chapter four, verses sixteen to eighteen. So please um, turn there in your Bibles or your smartphone. And just to, it's a great. Great passage, and I, in some ways I feel like I drew the long straw um, <laughs> picking this one. Um, it's only three verses, um, which is great, um, but it, it ends on a, on a really high note. So we've heard a lot about the Old Covenant. So the Old Covenant is, um, as Paul says, is passing away. It's fading into insignificance. And ultimately, if we hold to the Old Covenant, we will not be saved. The Old Covenant does not bring the power that the New Covenant does. Whereas the New Covenant comes with the grace of God. The New Covenant is Christ, his death on the cross, his resurrection. And ultimately, this passage is about our hope. The Old Covenant, there was no hope. The hope of the Old Covenant is, in fact, the New Covenant. And so this, uh, these few verses um, show us what that hope looks like in the New Covenant. So let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 to 18. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Shall we pray as we uh, seek God this morning? Father, we thank you that you have given us a hope. Lord, there are many out there who feel that there is no hope, and uh, Lord, without you, we, we don't know where we would be. Um, so Lord... As we look at this text this morning, I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts um, to see the spiritual realities that um, lie behind the physical things that we see. May we be responsive to what your word tells us this morning. May we not forget it and go away and not do anything about it, but Lord, may it convict us and, um, and compel us, Lord, to, to live lives that are these things in Jesus' name. Amen. What a glorious few verses these are. 
It's, it's, it's really a great summary of the Christian hope and one that you'd be hard-pressed to match anywhere else in the Bible. It's a kind of a, a rallying cry that kind of makes us forget our immediate problems and look to the hope that we have and our true purpose. And it kind of fills us with energy. At least this is what I've found through studying it. You know, it makes us want to run out and grab the nearest person and say, Brother, have you heard the good news? It's, it's a wonderful passage. But you only have to look quickly at the world around us to realize that this hope is not a hope that is common to all. And even as believers, um, we, we struggle. We, we don't understand sometimes how we can have hope. Sometimes the reality of the gospel is not, uh, is not immediate to us. In August this year, it was revealed that New Zealand, the suicide rate has increased over the last three years. And for young people, it's actually among the highest in the world. And if you look at the demographic that I'm in, youngish males, the most likely, statistically, the most likely cause of death for me is suicide. We're able to solve a lot of medical problems. We can treat cancer if it's found early. We can treat heart disease. But the one thing that we can't quite solve is depression suicide, these things. And of course, this is, this is young men that should be in the prime of their lives, right? We're, we're supposed to be full of hope and energy, and, and we're the future of the country. Um, but, but this is the reality, and even when we look at other things like depression, anxiety, bipolar, all these things are much more common than what we'd like to think. One-sixth of us in New Zealand suffer from them. And again, that is a number that is on the rise. Um, almost half a million people in New Zealand each year are prescribed antidepressants. Now, I understand that there are certainly genetic factors in that. There are biological factors, chemical uh, things working. And, you know, I don't want to ride roughshod over all that stuff. But, um, you know, in the end, these are not just spiritual issues. I recognize that. But at its heart, it is a sign that we as a nation, as a world, we are losing hope. And sometimes you just have to listen to the things that people tell themselves when, when they're going through these types of, um, types of struggles. They say things like, there is no reason to go on, or there is no joy in life, there is nothing to look forward to, there's no one that can help. Reality is too difficult to face. Expectations are too high. I can't overcome addiction. Failure is unavoidable. I'm sure you've heard these kind of things before if not in your own mind, um, in the minds of others. So really it is a lack, of, a lack of hope that undergirds all these things, isn't it? And try as we may, the world still hasn't found a way to give people lasting hope. Right? We have a government, that, a previous government that promised to do more, a new government that's, that's, that's promised to change things up again, mental health support, but really, what ideas are there? What, what can we do? Whether it's a blue government or a red, black, green government, it doesn't make much difference in the end. We have medication, we have support, we have funding, we have moustaches, we have professionals, and all these things are helpful, right? I'm not saying that we need to do away with those. All those things do help. But in the end, none of them can provide the sustenance to the soul in the long run. 
but somehow when we read Paul's words, he has a bit of nerve to say that Christians do not lose hope. Christians do not lose heart. And if we know what Paul endured during his life on earth, we would find this all the more outrageous that he could say such a thing. After all, if there was anyone who had reason to lose hope, you'd say it would be Paul. So what is it about him? What is it about what he's saying that we should look to to give us that confidence and assurance? What is so different for the believer? I want to give us three reasons this morning from our passage that Paul gives us. And each of these comes as a, as a sort of a paradox. So we understand what a paradox is. So a paradox is a statement that on the surface it appears contradictory, but in reality is actually true. Right, so a simple example would be you have to spend money to make money. Okay, it doesn't kind of sound like it makes sense because obviously you want to you want to make money, you want to keep money, but it's true, right? You have to spend, you have to invest. Or a biblical example: for whoever would save his life will lose it. Okay, so it's a paradox. You think that you'd save your life by going and doing things that would help it be safe, but, um, but Jesus says that's not the case. That's Matthew sixteen twenty-five. So, of course, the Bible's full of these kind of statements, uh, and our passage this morning is no exception. This is a hope that, in the end, is actually contrary to expectations of the world. So, first point, there is hope for our character. Though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. That word outer nature that Paul uses refers essentially to, to this, skin and bones. Sight, all our senses. This is our earthly body. This is what he means by the outer nature. So all of us are aware, hopefully, that our bodies are finite. That only that over time, really, there is only one direction for our bodies, and that is decay, aging. Not a pleasant thought, but, but that's the reality. And of course, those of us here who are older or who have experienced serious illness or disability. Uh, would be much more aware of this than the rest of us. But even for us that are younger, think about it. If you if you chip a tooth, it's it's never going to grow back. If you're a butcher and you chop off the end of your finger, it'll heal, but the end of that finger is not going to grow back. I mean, it may sound silly, but I think sometimes we're actually in denial about the fact that our bodies do degenerate. They don't repair themselves. Sure, some things heal, but over time, Things age, things decay. And that's it for the remainder of our time on earth. Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 24 reminds us, he says, All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls. Like a lot of young guys, I used to think, you know, that with, with, with enough training, with enough... Um, practice that I could do anything. Top level sport, I could do marathons, I could go mountain climbing if I wanted to, you name it. But after a while I became to see and notice that actually all the top level sportsmen that were getting into it were actually my age or younger. <laughs> and I thought, wow, if I ever really wanted to do that, I don't think I could anymore. And so even at 30, I have to accept that there are things that if I really want to train for, really want to go for, that my body simply would not allow me to compete at that top level. So simply a matter of fact that over time our bodies are limited, and over time they will wear out. 
Our strength will fail, our minds will fail, our energy will fail sooner or later. And this can be a very disheartening thing for me. A very hard thing to come to terms with. Just this week uh, I was at a retreat for work, so we went away and did a couple of days of team building. And one of the things we were asked to do was to bring a taonga, or a treasure, something that was important to us, and then we would explain the significance and what it meant to us. So we all brought our you know, watches and things like that that were all important to us, and got to this one guy, one of my colleagues, and he said, oh, I didn't, I didn't bring anything. And he went on to say his plan was that he was going to stop in at a butcher's shop on the way to the venue. Um, but the butcher's shop didn't have what he wanted, which was a heart. Beef heart, was it? And then he went on to say that the heart for him illustrated his body, his health. And for him, that was his treasure. His, he said that he's very fit. He loves his cycling. He said that uh, he's very um, proud of his mind and his ability to think and to reason. And he said that that, that is the most important thing to him. And uh, yeah, it was very hard for me to understand that actually. And it was it made all the more absurd because only five minutes earlier, another colleague was sharing how his wife was dying of cancer. And um, just that week, she had lost her eyesight. And so here we have someone who has. His body has failed, not on their own. They couldn't have prevented that. And this other person who says, my body is everything to me. So it made me feel sad because uh, this man in his 50s or so, um, sooner or later, his body will fail. Uh, and then I'm not sure what he will have to cling to. But if we look at Paul again, he suffered. His body was failing. As Vickers preached to us a couple of weeks ago, Paul was not a strong or a good-looking person. His strength failed him. His eyesight failed him. He didn't have a lot going for him, and he was acutely aware that his body was wasting away. But it's actually Paul who gives us this great paradox that while the body is decaying, the soul of the believer is actually being renewed. New life springs forth in our soul, and muscles of faith and love and Obedience works stronger and stronger with each passing day, and more reliably. James says that these things develop character in us, and ultimately that is what God is doing. It's an amazing thing to consider that as we see our body failing, that we can actually have confidence in seeing that, that the soul is being renewed. We get signs of this when we look at uh, the healings that Jesus and the apostles did. So these were healings of the body, but not everyone in those times experienced that bodily healing. And for us nowadays, it's a fairly uncommon thing to see. But what they do point to is the inner reality. So it's an outward demonstration, the healing of the body, of the inner reality, the healing of the soul. This is a sign that the kingdom of God is here. And this is what Jesus is trying to show us. And look, at, on the other hand, at the Pharisees. Jesus said that the Pharisees focused on external appearances. They wanted to demonstrate that they had it all together and that they were strong and obedient. And, and in a sense, they actually wanted to hide the fact that their body and their strength was failing, that they were failing to obey. 
But on the inside, Jesus tells us that there was no life. That's what he's calling whitewashed tombs when he talks about the Pharisees. There's a soul in there that's not being renewed, stagnating and dying. And when we look at the book of Corinthians, this is what the Corinthians have been looking to. They had these super apostles who had come in and they'd come with credentials, they'd come with strength, with power in an external sense. And this is, this is what made them these so-called super apostles that Paul was talking about. But in the end, it was a false gospel. It was a gospel that was not going to save them. And that's what Paul is uh, addressing with them here. So we know that if we put our hope in our own body, our strength, our skills, our intelligence, even our health, we know that sooner or later we will be let down. Of course, the Bible says that one day our bodies will be resurrected too and renewed but not before they cause us great trouble. If instead we put our hope in the fact that the Holy Spirit is working in us, in our inner nature, our character, we can have encouragement right now. This gives us joy, gives us peace, and gives us a growing love for God and for our brothers and sisters and a comfort that cannot be taken away. So there is hope for our character. Secondly, there is hope for our circumstances. For this slight and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Here's our next paradox. The worse our circumstances are here on earth, the more glorious they will appear for us in, in heaven. But let's address the obvious question here. How can Paul call these things light and momentary? On a surface reading, you'd think this is just supremely arrogant condescending. How does, does he not know how much people suffer? Is he having a laugh while people are battling all sorts of things out there? No, he's not. And we know that because Paul himself suffered a lot. Let's hear again what he says in 2 Corinthians 11. Um, us read this out a couple of weeks ago. And I'll read it again because it's, um, it's pretty important to understand. So 2 Corinthians 11 verses 23 to 27. Paul says, I've worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, and faced death time and time again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I've travelled on many long journeys, I've faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I've faced danger from my own people. Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I've faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. And I've faced danger from men who claim to be believers, but are not. It's these super apostles. I've worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty, and have often gone without food. I've shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. This, this is extreme persecution and hardship. Not many of us could say that we've been through stuff like this. Is Paul mad to make light of these sufferings? Does he does he have some kind of angelic transcendence that means that he doesn't feel pain or he doesn't feel the effect of these things? No. The reason that Paul is able to make light of these sufferings is this perspective that he has on them. When they're compared to the glory of the riches that await in heaven. <coughs> Many of you will know the story of Horatio Spafford. Um, a good example of this. He was a successful lawyer. 
in Chicago. But he lost his first son at age two uh, in the Great Fire, and along with a lot of his property and his wealth, was destroyed in that fire. And then he stayed behind to finish some of his business, and he sent his wife and his four daughters across the sea to Europe. And that boat collided with another boat and sank, and all of his four daughters perished with only his wife being rescued from it. And as he sailed to meet his grieving wife, he was passing by the spot where that boat had sank, and he wrote the words to the song that we know now, It is well, it is well with my soul. We're going to sing this after the sermon. Um, but it's, 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 you know, how can we understand, maybe some of us uh, have a taste of this, but how can anyone comprehend losing so much of your family like that all of a sudden? But it is a song that recognises that circumstances in this life can be downright horrible and filled with grief. But ultimately that the soul can find rest. And that rest comes from God, knowing that ultimately these things will pass. These circumstances will change. They seem to go on forever. And anyone who's dealt with grief will know that. But for the believer, we need to believe that these things are temporary. Sorrow will seem unbearable, but the joy and the peace that come are unimaginable. So Horatio knew that even this circumstance, even the worst circumstance that we can really imagine, is light and momentary compared to what is to come. And often it is that we see that it is in the worst circumstances and in the hardest and the darkest times that we see the hope of the gospel actually become clearer don't know if you've um, ever seen survival stories and read about them, but what is it that gets people through in the end? If someone's stuck in a, a snowstorm and doesn't know where to go and they're getting hypothermic, or someone's injured and they can't get help, or, or maybe someone's a prisoner of war, what, what is the common thing that people need if they're to survive? It's hope. It might be hope to see their family again. That's a common one. Or it might be hope just to reach the next milestone. Something, something to look forward to. And for us it's the same in a spiritual sense, that if we're being persecuted, if we have financial struggles, if we have family conflicts, if we've been abused, we need hope to cling to. We need to know that one day we'll have peace. Peter tells us that we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. That's First Peter 1 verse 4. And just thinking about this for a while and, and realising it's actually something that I really love about this church. That we do have people who have suffered intensely. We have people that are suffering now. And it's hard to see it happen, but at the same time, it encourages me to see that people respond the way that people respond to that suffering. The response is not to blame God and to say, you know, why me? But the response is not to pretend everything's fine and to say, yeah, it's not a big deal. The response is not even to try and proclaim victory over the situation and say this is unfit for a believer, a child of God. The responses that I've seen time and time again is hope in the gospel. What else is there? It's looking forward to a time when these things will pass away. 
and in the meantime, cherishing the very presence of God that we have through the Spirit. So I just wanted to say that, that I've been greatly encouraged with the way that people have um, faced suffering here. So we have hope for our character, we have hope for our circumstances, we have hope for eternity, is the third point. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So here we have another paradox. How can we look at things if they're unseen? doesn't make sense. It's almost an oxymoron. But there is a way that we can see. It doesn't involve these eyes. Sounds a little bit sci-fi when I say it like that, but <laughs> bear with me. So if we look with, with these eyes, we see things around us that appear to be permanent. We see mountains, we see oceans, we see forests, we see the sun, the moon, the stars. We see cities, we see nations, we see empires, we see relics and antiques that have been around the world. We see our own house. How many Kiwis think that their house is permanent? <laughs> Even after a lot of shaking that's gone on down south. But these are things that the Word of God says are actually not permanent. On the other hand, how many times do we hear people say that the things of God are temporary or transient? They say they're passing away. They say religion and faith are now not necessary. That maybe back in the dark ages that these things were important. We didn't have science back then. We didn't know as much as we do now. Religion was a comfort way of people understanding the world, that's what people say. But now they say that religion is past. We need to move on. Just like kids grow out of fairy tales, so we should grow out of the fairy tale that is God. The word of God, the fellowship of the believers, the love of God, the love for God that we have, because it is unseen, and because it exists mainly in the spiritual realm, people say that these things are short-lived. People say morals can change. People say theology can change. People even say that the nature of God can change. What he likes, what he dislikes. Or the way that God can be found. The notion of heaven and hell can be here one day, and gone the next. How often do you hear people say, this isn't the 1950s anymore, implying that what was evil and detestable in the 1950s is now perfectly acceptable. 60 or 70 years later. These are the kind of things that the world sees as temporary and changeable. But these are the very things that God says will endure forever. Now, what would happen if we looked to the visible things of this earth for hope? Ultimately, we would end up broken. Nothing on earth will stand the test of time. So I'm 30, 30 years old, as of a couple of weeks ago. Even in my 30 years on earth, think of some of the change that we've seen. We've seen volcanoes erupt, huge landslides erode, change the shape of the landscape. We've seen rivers and lakes completely dry up. We've seen ocean levels change. We've seen land thrust up out of the water. We saw that last year. We saw forests wiped out. Entire species of animals have gone extinct. We've seen cities leveled by earthquakes and floods. We've seen skyscrapers brought to the ground in terrorist attacks. We've seen powerful nations lose their grip 
and we've seen once peaceful nations being ravaged by war. So if we think that the world, even the landscapes don't change, then we need to think again. And that's just the beginning. Given another 30 years, another 60 years, what will happen? Nothing here is constant. That even that which does last for a few hundred years or so, we are told in the word, will ultimately be brought down and destroyed. Peter tells us in 2 Peter 3, verse 10, The heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So even the sun, even the stars, even the moon, they are not permanent. So even that which has withstood the forces of nature for thousands of years will not withstand the fires of judgment in the final days. Everything you can see, everything you can feel, everything you can smell, taste, all that stuff will be destroyed before the earth and the heavens are renewed. So then it follows that we look not to the things of this earth, things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen for our hope, because they will last forever and they will never fail. The word of God, the work of Christ on the cross in our place, God's adoption of all believers into his loving family, eternity with him, comfort and joy with him, and your identity as a child of God. These are the only things that we can really look to and hold on to if we want to have true and lasting hope. Of course, it's not easy always to look at things that are not visible with our eyes. And the Bible recognizes this. We know that Jesus says to Thomas in John 20, verse 29, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And Paul says in the next chapter of 2 Corinthians, um, chapter 5, verse 7, that we live by faith and not by sight. And Peter, in in 1 Peter 1, verse 8, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So although it is difficult, we can see the glory of God without our physical eyes, with the eyes of our heart. We have the word, we have each other, we have the sacraments, we have baptism, and we have the Holy Spirit who leads and guides us. So let us train our eyes of our hearts to see these things. Because what we can see with our eyes will pass away. And if we're looking for deliverance through them, we will ultimately be left exposed. So I thought for a while about how would I wrap this up. How do we apply this to our lives? And I could say we need to read the Bible more. I could say we need to pray more which would hope us to see the hope of the gospel. And that would be a very good thing, and I pray that 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 would be the case. But for today, I just want to encourage you. I want to leave you with the first sentence of the passage that we've read today. Therefore, we do not lose heart. So, brother, sister, do not lose heart. If your body is failing, take heart. The Holy Spirit is renewing your soul and creating a character in you of more worth than gold. If you're suffering from cancer, take heart. 
One day our bodies will be raised again in perfection, never to see blemish or disease again. If you're old and you feel like your time on earth is drawing to a close, take heart. To live is Christ and to die is to gain. If you're mourning the death of a loved one, take heart. Death will finally be done away with in the new heavens and the new earth and be swallowed up. If you suffer from depression or anxiety, take heart. God is renewing your heart and your mind. And in heaven, not even your own mind will be able to snatch the joy away that Christ has given us. If you're tired and exhausted, feeling burnt out, take heart. The Saviour's burden is easy and his yoke is light and our eternity will be spent in God's perfect rest. If you struggle with finances, take heart. Yours are the riches of God in heaven and an inheritance that will never be spoiled. If you've had a difficult upbringing, take heart. You're a child of the living God. and He will never leave you nor forsake you. If you've been treated unjustly, take heart. In the final days, justice will be carried out and the faithful will be rewarded. If you're struggling with sin, take heart. No temptation is impossible to overcome without God's help. (coughs) If you're struggling with guilt, take heart. Your sin, past, present and future, has been heaped on Jesus and he willingly laid down his life to set you free. If you feel like you've suffered more than you can cope with, take heart. These afflictions are preparing for us an eternity in the glory of God. Shall we pray?